0: What is going on? Happy Thursday night. Happy first day of a new NFL season. It is. I guess we're calling it Sportsnet today. That's what it says, but it's the evening. I don't know. Sportsnet tonight. It's some sort of talk sports radio show. I'm Jamie Dodd here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650 with you for the next couple of hours until seven o'clock. You're capping off. Uh, another day at the station. Glad to be on the air. It's been a very, just kind of make things up as we go work week for me. I, I did a couple days in the morning with my guy Josh. Now I'm doing solo tonight. I'm at the Nat with Bick and Deep tomorrow. I'm, I'm figuring it out here. Just put me wherever. That's what's going on. I'm, I'm a utility guy here at the station this week, but I'm stoked to be on the air tonight on Thursday. My guy Eddie Gregory is here. You'll hear from him, him throughout the course of the show. Got lots to talk about today. As I said, NFL season gets going in just under 20 minutes here. The Rams and the Bills. Fantastic matchup for the first game of the season. Gonna talk to Tyler Zickel a little bit later too. The Vancouver Canadians, their first season in a while back at the Nat. They're going to the playoffs. They'll be in the league championship series in the Northwest League. So we'll talk to Zickel a little bit about that leading in to the Seas game tonight here. On the station. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at Dumbarlumber.com. Get your thoughts in. You got anything you want to get off your chest, hit us up. 650-650. As I said, we'll talk a little NFL throughout the course of the show. I'll have some picks for week one. Maybe a futures pick or two as well to get into. Talk about some of the big storylines going into the season, but I want to start. I want to start on the Canucks because I think we're still, I mean, we're in a we're in kind of a funny spot right now, right? Because we had the big, big news break of JT Miller signing a contract. We've kind of digested that to a certain extent. Still have a couple weeks to go before training camp, before we start to really hear from all the players, see the team start to take shape. But I have still been very much thinking about JT Miller, right? And obviously now, the thinking goes from, what are they going to do with him, which had dominated the discussion around this team for so long. It goes from, what are they going to do with JT Miller, to, all right, well, what's next? Now that they've got the contract, what's happening? And I, we've had the debate, I think, a lot about whether or not the deal makes sense from a team perspective, right? We've talked that through. And we're going to continue to have that debate, and it will depend on how the Canucks perform this year and in the following seasons and all that. that. That's not going away anytime soon. The debate about whether it was smart to sign J.T. Miller to a long-term contract is going to be with us for a while. But I want to zero in a little bit on not necessarily the larger team-building salary cap picture, but a little bit on J.T. Miller as a player specifically. Because, you know, as much as the spotlight has been on J.T. Miller, from an off-ice perspective, from a speculation perspective... Look, anytime you're a member of the Vancouver Canucks and you sign a big money, long-term contract to stay with the team, that spotlight's not going anywhere. The spotlight is going to shift now to being about his on-ice performance, but he is very much still going to be one of the Canucks most under the spotlight in this coming season. And again, putting aside the question of, was this the right deal at the right time for the Canucks to sign with JT Miller? I want to talk a little bit about what expectations should be for Miller in this coming season. Not just this coming season, but let's say early in the extension because we all know, of course, the extension's not going to kick in this season, not until next year. What are reasonable expectations? And I guess the other way to look at it is what do you think JT Miller has to do on the ice now to live up to this deal? 650-650, you can hit me up with your thoughts. What do you need to see from JT Miller Now that he has the big money extension under his belt. What do you want to see? What does he need to do to live up to the deal? And because he signed the contract coming off an incredible season, right? There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I fell just shy of 100 points, but still. Top 10 in NHL scoring, 99 points. He was phenomenal. One of the most consistent, the most consistent Canuck all year long. Could always rely on him to be there with the offensive production. And as a result, he gets rewarded with the big deal. But I think it's also important not to get caught in thinking that what we saw last year from JT Miller has to be the standard going forward. Because frankly, I just don't think that's realistic. And that's not a slam at JT Miller by any stretch of the imagination. I just don't think you can expect consistent year in, year out, you know, top 10, 99-point level production. That's a tall order from any player. (laughs) If you're expecting that from any player, night in, night out, there's a good chance you might be, or season in, season out, there's a good chance you might be a little bit disappointed.
1: That's roughly 700 points over the term of the contract.
0: That can't be the expectation. Well, he scored 99 points. He's got to live up to it now. No, no, no. Let's slow down.
1: Let's slow
0: down just a little bit here. But, Eddie, I think one of the good things is Okay, it's 8 million. Look, I'm not going to say, "Oh, it's chump change or whatever." It's a big deal. It's a big cap commitment. But that's not you have to score 100 points a year money. No. It's not. It's a big number. Don't get me wrong, but look at where it stands in the NHL right now for this coming season. And again, he won't he won't kick in until the year after, but if he was making 8 million this year, that would be 34th in terms of cap hit in the NHL for forwards. That's pretty good. So, okay, it's it's that's a, that's a high number. You want that guy to be a legit all-star caliber player. But, you know, some of the guys around that number, Matt Duchesne, Ryan Johansson, Logan Couture, Jacob Voracek, right? Like, good players, guys you want to produce. Maybe some of them are having up and down careers and all that, but not guys you expect to be... At the very top of the NHL scoring list.
1: How many of those 34 players could JT Miller outperform in the first, say, two to four years of that contract?
0: Probably a fairly good number of them. Now, like, obviously at the top, right, you got your McDavid's, your Panarin's, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, etc. Guys you know are going to be consistently putting up those really big points. But as you said, there's a lot of players farther, you know, between 10 and 34 where JT Miller would would uh, slot in that you think, okay, like Tomáš Hertl. I think he could out-produce Tomas Even a guy like Brady Kachuk, now he's younger, he has more upside. Yes. But if I was to bet, you know, next year, the year after, maybe the year after that, who's going to be more productive, who's going to be more effective, I think you could still make the case for JT Miller. It
1: might be flip a coin close in terms of yeah. the point separation between those two.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And... That's, I think, really important to keep in mind because it cannot be – I understand, look, it's his, it was his platform year, he has the incredible season, and now it's like, okay, just go out and do that again. But given what they're paying him, that's not what they need from JT Miller for him to live up to his end of the bargain. And again, I'm not talking about how they're going to fix the defense paying him that much. I'm not talking about how. what else can they do to help the team make the jump to being a true Stanley Cup contender – I'm just talking about what does he need to do? What can he control? And what does he need to do? And, you know, we're already getting the text in, right? This one from Dino. Crack 100 points and continue to outperform Bo. If you're expecting him to improve, not just sustain, but actually improve by getting to 100 points, I think you're setting yourself up for disappointment with JT
1: Miller. But what if Elias Pedersen improves?
0: Well, that's good news. I mean, For and, a full season. And I want to talk to, about Elias Petterson a little bit later in, in this segment because I think he's a really fascinating player as well. We have some more texts coming in, 650-650. What do you need to see from JT Miller in this upcoming season? Brian from Burke Mountain says, Next three years, he needs 75 points a year. Minor Matt says, JT Miller has to get at least a point per game over the next four years minimum. After that, Father Time will let us know what the expectations for him are. And Dave from Campbell River says at least he would have to duplicate what he did last season uh, and also have the increased control of his emotion, as he actually stated. That's Dave from Campbell River. So you're seeing pretty two pretty clear points of view, I think, Eddie, right? One is, nope, what you what we did got from you last year, that's where it has to be. That's the new standard. That's what we're going to demand of you. And the second one, which I think is the more reasonable position, which is my position, is and you gotta be in that kind of point per game. Seventy five to eighty-five. If he slots in at seventy five to eighty five, I get it. He's making eight million long term, you're worried about the back end of the deal. But I think if you get seventy five points from a guy who also is, you know, a key driver of your power play, plays a lot of big minutes for you, is an emotional leader of the team. You'll take that for $8 million. To me, that's good. That, that's about the going rate right thereabouts in the NHL these days.
1: What if he's 72 to 78 and collectively the team significantly improves over the course of the next two or three years? You'll take that every
0: day yeah. of the week. Yeah. Every day of the week you'll take that. And this text comes in, what do we need to see? We need to see him back check. <laughs> and that's something that JT Miller has talked about himself, right? That he wants to get a lot better in the defensive zone of the game. He wants to be more of that kind of quintessential two-way player. And I, I saw a little bit of reaction to that when he's made those comments along the lines of, you know, uh-oh, here we go. His scoring's going to plummet, but everyone's going to say he's doing the little thing, so it's okay. But I think you take that bargain. Now, I'm not saying if he's a 50-point a player that his two-way impact is going to make up for it. No, he's still, you're, you're paying him to produce. He's a playmaker. He's a guy who can be, a key part of your power play, he can score 5 and 5 all of that. That's all important. But if we're talking 75, something like that, 75 points, and a bit more dependable two-way player, a guy you feel comfortable playing down the middle against some of the other team's best players, again, what more are you expecting, really? What more can you reasonably expect for $8 million?
1: Exactly, and that's what you want to see from him. Just continue to build his overall game and really make his collective value just even exceed what he's going to ultimately get paid over the course of the term of the contract here.
0: This one comes in Jeff from Mission. Realistically, I'd like to see JT Miller get between 75 and 80 points. He's going to be a victim of anybody else who's got the big contract. They're being paid for something they did, and people are going to expect them to keep doing it. The other thing that I think is important here, Eddie, and, and you know this, we saw scoring massively spike around the NHL last year.
1: Yes, absolutely. There
0: were a lot of guys who had career years, and a lot of them got paid off of it, and JT Miller is one of them. But almost, there's going to be a lot of players by that same token that decline next year. And it's not as if all of them are going to be having bad years. It's just we're going to see less scoring around the NHL. So naturally, a lot of point totals are going to go down. Fans kind of have to start Talking themselves into not panicking now. You know what I mean? Okay, it's expected. It's expected. We're not going to see it like we did last year. 80 points? You know, okay, it looks like a 20-point decrease from where JT Miller was. It might be more of like a 10-point decrease. You know what I mean?
1: And that's okay, too, right? I mean, it does feel a little bit like last year was a bit of a blip on the radar. As it can continue oh yeah. to trend upwards towards the you know mid-80s and even into the <laughs> early parts of the 90s. Who knows? I mean from an entertainment standpoint I think it'd be fantastic for the National Hockey League but I always think back to a guy like Steven Stamkos who quietly had the quietest 100-point season of anybody in the NHL last year. You know what if you know 100 points is not always the benchmark that no, you're looking for. It's
0: absolutely not. Yeah. And again so another way to think of it is you know where can he be relative to the league, right? Cuz last yeah. year he was top 10. Again, I think that might be asking a little much. Okay, go out and be top 10 in the league in scoring. But over his entire time here with the Canucks, he's what? I mean, I think he's 12th, something like that, right? Up there. So when you look at that, if league scoring comes down a little bit, okay, his scoring can decline, but he can still be, you know, a top 15 player in terms of point production in the NHL. Again, I think it's less about the raw production from him and maybe more about where he slots in relative to the NHL. If he can sustain where he's been since he's been with the Canucks for the next two, three years. You're feeling pretty good uh, about that one. This text come in comes in, JT keeps having career years that he we say he can't replicate. He's in his prime, and I don't think we know his ceiling yet. For $8 million, I just want to see him continue to be the energy engine of this team. And, you know, as to the point of who knows what his ceiling is, is there a possibility that he outperforms what he did last year or that he sustains what he did last year for the next three seasons. Yeah, of course there is. There's always a possibility. Weird things happen in sports. It's just not a smart bet. And again, I don't think that can be your expectation going in. If it happens, wow, amazing. You hit a home run signing him. That's an incredible player to have on your team for the foreseeable future. But you don't need it. That's my point. You don't need him to be there in order to feel like you made – I don't want to say necessarily the right decision long-term, but that at least you're getting value in the medium term uh, out of JT Miller.
1: And the Canucks are expecting a more balanced forward group this year with the addition yep. of like a Mikheyev. We'll see what Kuzmenko does. We'll see what Pod Colson does this year. Does Hoglander have some form of a bounce-back year this year? What type of year does Brock Besser have? Maybe all those things ultimately kick in to take less pressure off of JT Miller, and his point production may drop. But all around the team depth around him makes the Canucks collectively better. And one of the things we heard from Patrick Alvin, uh this week was
0: we actually would like to reduce J.T. Miller's load a little bit, right? And, yeah. I, and I don't. I think if that happens, you're probably going to see it be mostly like on the penalty kill. You know, he's still going to get his power play minutes. He's still going to get his five on five minutes. But even if you know five on five, he plays slightly less. Well, that's that's going to mean fewer points, and maybe you're getting a better defensive effort, a better two way effort. Uh, in the other minutes from JT Miller, so overall it's worth it, but you're right. With the increased depth, they're actually in a position to play him a little bit less than they've typically relied on him, and that's not a knock on him. It just also is another reason why the point total might not be as gaudy uh, as it was last year. It's Sportsnet Tonight here, 650-650. Jamie Dodd, Eddie Gregory producing the show, and Eddie used a word that. is very interesting and something I wanted to talk about, right? The pressure on JT Miller. Will it actually be lessened a little bit because they actually have depth, uh, more depth in the forward ranks to rely on? And I was thinking about this when I was, you know, kind of doing my prep and wondering, okay, what can we realistically expect from JT Miller? And I think typically when you are the team's leading scorer last year, you sign a big money extension in the off season, the GM is calling you your best player, the best player, the coach is calling you the team's best player. I think typically you would say that player has the most pressure on them out of anyone on the team. But I don't know if I feel that way with JT Miller. And look, if it if it doesn't get off to a great start, yeah, there's going to be plenty of people complaining about you know if he's not producing like we think he can and all of that. But when I was just kind of going through the list of who's under the most pressure for the Canucks this year, JT Miller is not at the top of my list, and you mentioned him again earlier in the segment. A guy I wanted to talk about, I think again, and this might be two or even three years running now, the guy with the most pressure on the
1: Canucks this season. It's got to be Elias Pettersson again, right? Absolutely. I mean, we want to see the Elias Pettersson from the last two or three months, final two or three months of the regular season, and just do that over the course of you know eighty-two games. Yep. Right, I mean, the pressure's on. He's got the new contract that he signed over a year ago. He's getting paid, you know, seven million dollars. You know, he's a fifth overall pick. You know, he's just entering that window where the Canucks want a player of that draft position to be a seventy-five to eighty-point guy. We don't want to see him be, you know, in the sixties. You know, maybe knocking on the doors of seventy. What does Elias Pettersson's next step look like? Yeah. And I think that's what this town is really, really looking forward to.
0: The biggest question that any player has to answer, right, is is Elias Pettersson needs to show that the first half of last season was a blip, right? Yes. Because I'm willing to give pretty much anybody kind of a pass for the COVID season, for the North Division season, and he was injured for lots of it anyways. I don't look at that as, oh, that was a step back. That was just a weird confluence of events. The first half of last season was really the first time we saw Elias Pettersson stall in his growth, stall in his progression. Now, he responded in a big way for the second half of the season. He was phenomenal. I thought he played some of the best hockey of his career that we've seen him play. But that's the number one question any individual is facing, right? Can you prove... That the first half of last year was just a blip, just a fluke, just about injury, and that you're going to get back on that upward trajectory to being you know, the true number one superstar talent that everyone's been hoping and expecting you can be. And to tie it back to JT Miller, you know, I mentioned that the coach, Bruce Boudreaux, said he was our best player. He's our best player. Patrick Alvina said the same thing, right? He's our best player. We hear that all the time from fans texting in. When it was, are they going to trade JT Miller? It was... What are you talking about? How can they trade their best player? Uh, one of the ways I think about this is by the end of this season, Elias Pedersen has to claim that title. He has to step up and say, and it, and it can't be because JT Miller falters, right? Because <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Elias Pedersen has to step up and usurp the role, the title of best player on the Canucks from JT Miller. That's the level he needs to get to because, again, you you laid out all the reasons we want to see it from Elias Petterson, but if you just look at where this team is, you know, Patrick Alvin was very clear this week. This team has to take a step forward. They have to improve. And the moves the management group has made shows they expect this group to be competitive. They're betting on this group being competitive. There's no chance they can get there. I don't want to say no chance. Again, weird things happen. But it's very, very hard to see how they meet those standards, meet those expectations without Elias Pedersen living up to his billing, without him continuing that ascension, right? So, look, yeah, JT Miller's going to be under pre- plenty of pressure. Uh, I- I'm interested to hear thoughts from the listeners as well. Who has the most pressure on the Canucks this season? 650, 650, get your thoughts in. There's some other kind of interesting sleeper candidates. But number one with a bullet, just because of his importance to the team and the way his season developed last year, it's Elias Petterson They need him to be superstar Elias Petterson for 82 games this year.
1: And what do you think... The positive returns are for the Vancouver Canucks if he does grab the bull by the horns. Huge, and just go after it this year. What if he all of a sudden? What if he becomes an eighty-five to ninety-point guy? What do the Vancouver Canucks look like if that happens this year?
0: Well, all of a sudden, the the depth you have down the middle is up there among the best in the league. It's it realistically is borderline elite. Yeah, and I w- I would say maybe not even borderline. Right? If if J T. Miller's Around a pointer game, and Elias Pedersen is around a point a game, maybe slightly above. Because the other thing with Pedersen is he, it, when he turned it on last year, it wasn't just that he started putting up points, he started dominating the game on a shift to shift basis, like we're used to seeing him, right? Controlling play, right? Winning his matchup night after night. So even if the puck wasn't going in, he was always playing in the other team's zone. That's what elevates his value from, and I say, you know, air quotes, just an 80 point guy, 80 point guys are really valuable, but he can be even more valuable than your typical 80 point guy because he can dictate play like that with his puck handling, with his hockey IQ, all of it, right? That's what we saw from him. So if he's doing that and he scores 85 points and let's say another thing we saw late last year, he continues to chip in on the penalty kill, be a useful guy there. That's a, I mean, I don't know, choose your descriptor of what kind of level player that is. But to me, I mean, that could be a borderline hard candidate if he does that for 82 games. And you, all of a sudden you add that, you go from the half-and-half half year we saw last year to full season of that, that can raise the ceiling more than any other individual performance for the Canucks.
1: And I think there's an intercompetitive fire in Elias Pedersen that will only drive him to get better, and we've seen what it's done with JT Miller over the course of his time with the Vancouver Canucks. What if Elias Pettersson channels the energy in the right way in his competitive fire and translate that onto the ice? How much does that help the Vancouver Canucks?
0: Well, that's the other angle of Elias Pettersson as well is, okay, yeah, Bo Horvat's the captain. They just re-signed JT Miller, and we all know his role as a leader on the team, an emotional leader on the team. But at a certain point, Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes will need to step into more of that role, right? And that's not something that we can necessarily measure on a day-to-day basis because we don't see it. We don't know. But to your point, Eddie, about him stepping up and using that competitive fire, I think if he does that and shows the results consistently on the ice, and if he does do what I'm kind of laying out and, and take over the title of the Canucks best player from JT Miller, well, that will kind of naturally involve him being more of a leader, right? He He's already, to a certain extent, one of the faces of the franchise. But if all of these things happen, he's going to have to be – comfortable in that role, right? And comfortable in the room as, hey, guys, I'm the best player. I'm going to be the one who puts us on our back tonight for this week, whatever it is, and gets us some results.
1: This is my team. This is my room. This is, that's the mentality that you want from a guy like Elias Pettersson. And we even heard you'd mentioned there moments ago, Quinn Hughes. We heard from Bruce Boudreau a few times towards the back end of last year how much quietly Quinn Hughes was quietly taking control of some of the leadership aspects of that Vancouver Canucks yep. room. And how much does he build on that going into this year as well?
0: It's a great question. And this one comes in. Matt and Surrey says, guys, for PD to pass Miller as best player, it's not simply outscoring him. Miller brought leadership intangibles and intensity that PD hasn't shown yet. If Petterson can be the team's best player, that's a phenomenal outcome for the team because he's hitting in all those areas. I agree. I think that's a great way of putting it, Matt, right? It's not just about the production. We've seen that from Elias Pedersen. It's also about stepping into what it means in a bigger sense uh, to be the team's best player. And to your point about Quinn Hughes, I Quinn Hughes, I think, is a phenomenal player. I enjoy watching him play hockey a ton. He's so effective. I almost run out of things to say because he's just been so quietly excellent for his Canucks tenure. You know what I mean? Like... He had the struggles defensively in the COVID year, and then what did he do? He went and worked on his game, and he came back, and he was really good in his defensive end. Much improved. And to your point, hey, young player, you need to step up and uh, you know start to take some leadership, some ownership in the room. Well, guess what? According to Bruce Boudreaux, he's doing that. So I would just keep betting on uh, Quinn Hughes to continue taking those steps and, and doing what he's done since he's came into the NHL, which is basically meeting expectations every step of the way. It's Sportsnet tonight here on 650, uh, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Eddie Gregory here as well. Get your thoughts in. A uh, couple questions we threw out to you there. What do you need to see from JT Miller this year in terms of production now that he signed the big extension? And who has the most pressure on the Canucks this year? I say Elias Pettersson. I think Eddie is in agreement, but if you have another candidate, hit us up, 650 six. More to come. We'll talk a little NFL. The NFL season is underway. Rams and Bills early in the first quarter right now. We'll talk some NFL. uh, And I want to play back a really fun interview that aired earlier on the station as well. So we'll do that. It's Sportsnet Tonight here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. Sportsnet Tonight here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd with you until 7 o'clock. The Bills, yeah, the Bills. They're Super Bowl favorites going into the season. Looked the part early against the Rams. They got the ball to start. Uh, no problems marching down the field for the touchdown. Josh Allen on, on the bootleg finds a wide-open Gabe Davis for a 26-yard touchdown. Extra point after is good, so it's the Bills. 7 nothing up over the Rams, uh, who will be getting the football back momentarily in the first matchup. ...of the NFL season here. Again, Sportsnet today... ...or Sportsnet tonight, excuse me, 650... ...650, keep your thoughts coming in. Uh, 650, 650 is the Dumbbar Lumber text line. I want to play back an interview that uh, Bick and Randeep did on the People Show earlier today... ...with Dolph Ziggler, WWE superstar. Yeah, that's right. But first, you heard this guy on the People Show as well. You heard him in the first segment on this show. I got to give some shine to our guy. Our guy, Eddie Gregory who is not just a stalwart producer here at Sportsnet 650. Now, also, the new voice, the new play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Giants. Eddie,
1: my man, congrats. Thank you very much, Jamie. It's been uh, quite a whirlwind last 24 hours with the uh, news coming out. Well, I
0: I knew we were working together, so yesterday I was just kind of texting you, yeah, maybe we'll do this, maybe we'll do And then, like, half an hour later, I checked Twitter,
1: and you're all over. I was like, oh, my gosh, Eddie! I know. (laughs) What? Congratulations! I know, I've... Had to kind of keep it quiet over the course of the last few days or so, and, you know, some friends that we know from the industry are known and whatnot. Yes. You know, Giants just had to make sure they got all their ducks in order before they made the announcement, so I've had to keep it a little bit under wraps, so to speak. Yes.
0: Well, what else is new in this industry (laughs) sometimes? Anyways. Anyways, the guys got into it with you uh, on the People Show, so people can always go check out the podcast, but as they said... You've been grinding. You've been you've been working for it. It's really awesome to see you get it. You're going to do a great job. And uh, I am stoked to hear your call uh, here on the airwaves in a few weeks. Once again, shout out to our guy Eddie Gregory, the new play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Giants. Now, as I said, Dolph Ziggler. Yeah, WWE superstar Dolph Ziggler was on with Bick and Randeep earlier today because... The WWE is coming to Vancouver, September 24th, Saturday's main event. Tons of stars going to be there. Uh, Dolph was on to talk about that, but the thing about Dolph is he's also a huge sports fan, big Browns fan, uh, and that's what Bick and Randeep started with Dolph Ziggler.
2: I'm always hyped for my Browns. I was a little bit more hyped last year, Uh, but, but... Uh, I'm I'm happy to see it. One football's back, which I love. And if you're a Cleveland guy, we we've stuck with the Browns through thick and thin, and it's been mostly thin. So I'm excited for it. Uh, I'm excited for the game tonight. It's going to be good. Uh, I got the the Browns uh, only one and a half point underdogs for Sunday, so that's a good start. And uh, I, I we still love Baker Mayfield. Uh, the Browns got rid of him, but uh, Cleveland, I think, still embraced
3: him. Yeah, we'll see uh, Baker's thoughts on that as well. He's uh, he he wants to mess up the old team, as he put it. But <laughs> all right, uh, since we got well, here, wouldn't want to. Wouldn't you? Of course, hundred uh, percent. How, how is he
2: even in the wrong
0: here? We messed up. He didn't. All right. So. Just really quickly, because you kind of mentioned just going through thick and thin with your team here, right? The Browns, we know their, their history. It's, it's been miserable at times. Here in this city, Vancouver Canucks haven't won a championship either. Like, What is it about that connection of a team, like constantly supporting a team, that, that, that
2: loses Dolph? Uh, you know what? I, I don't know. I, I guess it's just where we live. And you get, I mean, it would be weird if we won like the, the Super Bowl last year. We wouldn't have anything to complain about. We wouldn't have the same camaraderie. We wouldn't be like, ah, oh, it's Cleveland against the world. We wouldn't have any of that stuff. So one day, maybe it's in another 100 years, but maybe it's in two or three, we will win that championship. But until then, it's, it's, it's very much like it's almost like my wrestling style. It's like a scrappy underdog. People are behind you, but you never pull off the big one. But every once in a while, you get a step away and it's just, that's what Cleveland is, and that I think that's what brings us all together as fans. That's why we still sell out the shows and the game, because we're just waiting, like, the, the team is there, the city is there, we're all behind it. We just want it to happen. And one day when it does, who the heck knows?
3: Yeah, you might be have a, a scrappy style, but you have won, what, 15 titles in the WWE, so there you go. That That's on your resume, unlike the Canucks and the Browns. Okay, before we move off of football, I wanted to get your thoughts. I know you're a diehard football fan. Who's going to be in the Super Bowl this year?
2: Uh... I don't know. What
0: do you guys think? I'm going Baltimore. I, I you know, like I know that's close to home mm. for your Baltimore? Browns.
2: Yeah,
3: I'm going. Uh, I, I'm all in on the Ravens. I'm going Chiefs. Buccaneers. Chiefs, but can we just have that? Yeah. Hey, sometimes
0: good teams come back. <laughs> People want the uh, same thing I, over and over. That's why what? the Undertaker comes out of retirement all the time. People like seeing exactly. refreshes.
2: Yeah, I, I get. It. I mean, we have seen Roman and Brock before, so I get True. that. Uh, that that makes sense. So if it works, it works. But I don't know. I, I'm very curious to see Buffalo tonight. I think what is, are they're the favorite to be first or second and finish. Yeah. And I'm very curious to see how tonight. I think the game's gonna be awesome tonight. But it, it's gonna show if if. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking Cincinnati for our for our division makes makes a move. But I, uh, this game tonight will be a good start and see. You know, maybe maybe some people fall apart. Maybe that magic from last year is gone. You never know.
3: You're listening to The People Show. We're joined by Dolph Ziggler, WWE superstar, coming to Vancouver on September 24th for Saturday night's main event. And you're coming to Vancouver in a couple of weeks' time, less than a couple of weeks. Uh, But it's not the first time you've been to Vancouver. Pre-pandemic, if I'm not mistaken, December 2019... You perform stand up as well in Vancouver. Uh, how was that experience? Because uh, this is kind of the unique aspect of you. You're a great wrestler, a champion level wrestler, but at the same time, you got this other passion, also this other you know profession as well. How was that experience in Vancouver?
2: Uh, it was very cool. Uh, I am always very nervous because I have I've wrestled in thousands of matches at this point, but I've only done stand up you know thirty, forty times. So it scares the hell out of me. And it was, uh, I, I want to see the real theater. Yep. And, um, it was really fun uh, because of our loyal fan base. The fans come out and see the show. You get to do the meet and greet. You talk to them. You take pictures with them. You give them autographs. Uh, you tell them stories. You do the Q&A, which is so fun. And you try and make that fun and jokey. But I also try out stand-up material, and it scares the hell out of me. And I remember the, one of the first times I ever did stand-up. It was at the Comedy Bar in uh, Canada a long time ago. And all I had was a three-minute bid on Chipotle. And at the time, Chipotle was not in <laughs> in Toronto yet. And they're like, uh, please welcome to the stage next. to do like four minutes. And I asked Renee uh, uh, Young, I go, so you guys know Chipotle, right? She goes, oh, they don't have those here. And then they said my name. And I was like, oh, my God. So I'm always scared to death. And you could always bomb. And that's how you learn. But, man, it was so funny to do that first time and be like, uh. Well, what the uh, hell are you talking about to, like, total silence? So uh, I I'm
0: right. very happy to report we have Chipotle now. What was the big punchline, if you want to deliver it now? Because now, now Canadians <laughs> know what you're talking about.
2: No. <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I don't even – it was just a story that had happened to me, and uh, it, 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 it won't even apply to a punchline. But I'm here's the most important part. You have Chipotle now. Yeah. So everyone wins.
0: So what like what attracts you to that profession as well? Because you know wrestling, obviously, so physical. There's a performance aspect to it, but you know comedy, it, it feels like it's a different realm completely. Why the two passions?
2: Uh, it, it's it all goes back to not being held up. I think. Um, I'm just kidding. I was held a bunch. I just it, it's like you always want to perform. You're always on stage. It's like every single one of my ex girlfriends that always said like you always have to be on or something. Like you you want to be producing something. You want everyone looking at you not in the class clown way, but you always want to be making some point and making people laugh. So my favorite thing to do is laugh. So if I can make my friends laugh by saying something gross or funny. You do it. So then you want to write it down and then there's strangers and you want to get their attention. You want to make them laugh. So you got to work that much harder. So you got to work on the notes. I have 40, 50 notebooks full that I walk around in my backyard, crossing things out and switching it up. And and then I record a set in my pocket and be like, Ooh, here's this new crowd work thing. And then add a tag to your joke. And it's, it's just like wrestling except after 5,000 matches, I'm comfortable, and I'm at 40 sets now, and you know, you need 5,000 just to figure out what the hell you're doing.
3: Well, you display those mic skills on both sides, but what's the biggest difference between a wrestling crowd and a stand-up crowd?
2: Um, my, one of my favorite things, well, see, they could be there to see you, or they could be there to see someone else. Mm-hmm. So there could be a bunch of little kids who are there to see John Cena, and, uh, and they're like, oh, I kind of know who Dolph is, or I don't, and that's fine. And then you go, you win them over. You steal the show and you go there. I went to see John Cena, but man, Dolph Ziggler stole the show. It's very similar to that way. Like If, if, it, if I'm not the headliner of a show and it's half wrestling fans, I'm jumping on a, a friend's show, like Kate Quigley or Sarah Tiana or someone's show, and I'm just coming up there as Nick uh, to do five minutes, you have to work that much harder. You don't have that benefit of the doubt of you're walking on the stage and everyone's so happy to see you and applauding. Everyone else is sitting there with their arms folded. They came to see someone else, and they go, make me laugh because you're wasting my time and you're not showing me the headliner I came to see. So that's where you figure out what works and what doesn't. That's where you work hard. That's where you go above and beyond and go, ooh, this isn't just me showing up and everyone's happy. I actually worked on something and wrote something, and it worked or it didn't, and then you know.
0: But come on, who's who's heckling Dolph Ziggler? Like, you'll just put him <laughs> through a table. Like, come on, that's not happening, is it?
2: <laughs> uh, it, it you know what, I... The really funny thing is that there isn't too much heckling for me, which is funny, uh, w- which is great. I appreciate it. But, yeah, it is like I- – I'm serious. If you don't know me and my hair tied up in a bun and I have a black hat on and they go, please welcome Nick to do five minutes, they're <laughs> like, you're not the headliner I came to see. Make me laugh or I'm going to be mad at you, you know? So it's it's just you work harder and then it it, it, it helps you – explore that craft and maybe find a different tag or a different thing that works.
3: Yeah, there's a different level of confidence that a stand-up uh, you know, comedy club heckler has that people in society <laughs> don't necessarily have. I you listened to The People Show? We're joined by WWE superstar Dolph Ziggler. And Dolph, okay, on the wrestling side of things, what, 18 years in the game, you signed with the WWE in 2004 Does it feel like it's been that long? Because, you know, as far as I remember, I come from a a wrestling family in the sense that we never wrestled, but we watched a lot of wrestling. My dad is a diehard, watches you guys to this day. You know, 18 years, does it feel like 18 years?
2: Uh, You know, to me, it doesn't, and it's flown by. And I've been doing it a long time, and I've seen a lot of stuff, and, uh, man, it's, it's crazy because it feels like, sometimes it's been two or three years and it just zipped by because I think that so much of the travel and constantly being on the road that you just, you get home for a day or two, you empty out your suitcase, and you get back on the road. You're so used to it that you're like, oh, another year just went by. You're like, oh, holy cow. And then I used to have to, when someone asked me, like, how long have you been doing this? I'm like, I don't know, 10 years. And I'm like, oh, wait, I think it's like 15 or 16. <laughs> and it's like, it's that far off because there's, there's no off season. There's no time off. I don't go away. Unless I need to, because it's been 15 years without, you know, a weekend off or something. So it's it's crazy that it's been that long, but that 18 years flew by. Honestly, it feels like six.
3: Sometimes when you know you talk to wrestlers, and there's the, especially when you get in the game, you learn from somebody. Somebody teaches you the ropes. Do you see yourself being that guy now? Or are you are you kind of the mentor, so to speak? And and was there a guy that when you were coming up that that kind of taught
2: you the way as well? Uh, whether I want to be or not, I am, and I have been in that position for probably 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, I was just like that. Yeah, when I wrestled at Kent State, you know, sometimes I sat in the coach's chair to, to, during our dual meets and our matches and things as like an a honorary assistant coach and captain kind of thing. So I've been doing that my whole life, and it, it's probably, yeah, maybe six, seven years in, I was already doing some of it, but now, absolutely all the time, people come to me, or I come to them, or I help people out, or if it's somebody newer and it's just like, I'm going to put this all together and take your input and make this all work great. Uh, so um, I was lucky. Um, I hated it at the time I was in the spear squad, a bunch of cheerleaders. I thought, you know, we were kind of a joke and this didn't work. But what I didn't realize for a full year, I was getting training in the ring on the go in front of fans with Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Ric Flair, Roddy Piper, Dusty Rhodes on a weekly basis. That's why I'm so good today, because I got to have that time in the ring with those
0: guys. I, I, I wanted to ask about that specifically. Just you know, f- from where you are now and looking at the Spirit Squad, like that influence was it direct in that, like that that constant uh, interaction with them, or was it greater than that to, to shape kind of the wrestler you are today?
2: It, it was a, it was that and a chip on my shoulder. I came into the Spirit Squad. Uh, I mean, I came into WWE right before the Spirit Squad. Purely wrestling in high school and breaking records in college. I didn't come from the independence. I wasn't a legacy. I didn't have somebody get me in. I just, uh, my wrestling coach, Tadaki Hata, uh, was, had wrestled with Gerald Briscoe at Oklahoma. And it was all, they knew I was a fan. They knew I'd been trying to do it since high school at St. Ed's, college at Kent State. I, my goal was to get a college education and then try this. You know, it was my dream. And it all somehow worked out that way to like make it in there just to get to WWE. And then it was, okay, how can I learn five years of training in one year? So I was going to practices, uh, without, you know, without everybody else. I was going uh, at night on the weekends. My buddy, uh, Mikey in the spirit squad had been training and learning some things. So he would roll around with me. He would teach me stuff. He had a key and we would sneak in there a couple times a week and I was focused on you know, being early to practice, leaving late, getting in the ring with these guys. I said, I'm making up five years' time in one year. And I feel like not just five years' time, five years' time was some of the greatest of all time. So that's what stuck with me. I said, I am going to go from zero to, to having them, when the Spirit Squad ends, begging me to be on their roster.
0: So so you're a complete blank slate. I'm, I'm trying to think because I, I imagine there's a pretty good Ohio wrestling uh background or farm system or something like that your your exposure to wrestlers prior to Danny this was was nil
2: uh yeah i just i was a fan sure and um they used to show um WWE pay per views at Buffalo Wild Wings and if, <laughs> if if you paid 10 bucks at the door yeah. they gave give you a voucher to get like you know to buy wings or something so i'd go watch them and sometimes uh the, at the time it was called Cleveland All Pro and JT Lightning, who I think who ran that place, uh, there was like a local independent promotion. They would do like little raffles in between and talk about their school and stuff like that in between the matches. So, I, other than talking to them and just talking about what I wanted to do and going to see a couple of their shows, I had no previous training. Like I said, no legacy, didn't roll around. Uh, was just coming off of hey, Google my name. I'm the all time winningest wrestler at Kent State. I've been a fan since five. I'm the hardest working guy you know. I know I'm not 6 to 5 or 300 pounds, but give me a shot.
3: Well, you mentioned a name a little bit earlier on, and we actually had uh, people ask us uh, when we've announced that you're coming on the show. They're like, all right, make sure you ask them this question. Triple H, what's it like with him in control now and running the show? What's he to wor- like to work with? Not only as a, as a wrestler that you did, you know, you worked with him earlier on, but now as he's in control of the, uh, the operation.
2: Uh, A lot of people keep asking this question, and it's like it's such a group and team effort that it is like we're all teammates. It's just a different person, you know, uh, in guerrilla position or behind the door that you're pitching your idea to. So it's like there's so many voices and brains that we have of legends behind the scenes that help us put things together. There's us in the ring that do everything. It's just a different person behind that door with his fresh perspective on things. And he's the door's always open. You're there to pitch. You can talk to him. You go, hey, how could I tweak this? Maybe you can help me tweak this. How, you know, can I help do something different here? Um, it's been, you know, so it's, there's so many pieces in motion already that it's just it's one, it's just a slightly different flavor of ice cream of someone going yes or no. So otherwise, it's been this absolute teammate, group effort that just hasn't even skipped a beat.
0: Talking to Dolph Ziggler here on the People Show Again, September twenty fourth, Pacific Coliseum, Saturday night's main event. Uh, you'll be in town with Kevin Owens, The Miz, Rey Mysterio, a bunch of other people as well. Uh, what kind of show can people expect uh, when you're in town in a couple of weeks?
2: It's the best, man. Uh, not only is it fun for us, we we don't get there as often as we do. We had a two and a half year break for everybody. This is what we feed off of. We live off the fans and that live crowd to make the show that much better. And when they're allowed, we feed off it, and our matches get that much better and that much more exciting and fun. It's the greatest sport in the entire world, and the fans are the icing on the cake. I can't wait to be there.
3: Zolf, I know you don't need this, but if you need somebody to run interference, Bick and I volunteer. Oh, right? yeah, we're,
0: we're happy, man. We're happy we got to do the people it. People behind us too.
2: Yeah. <laughs> You bring as many people as you can. And if you guys get past security, I'll be happy to let you take all the shots for me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, Dolph, we really appreciate it. We're looking forward to it again the 24th uh, in town. Tickets available at TicketLeader.ca. Uh, enjoy week one, and we'll see you in town in a few weeks.
2: All right, sounds good. Take it easy, guys.
0: That is WWE superstar Dolph Ziggler earlier today on the People's Show with Vic Nazar and Randeep Janda getting people hyped. For WWE coming to town Saturday, September 24th at the Pacific Coliseum. You heard from Dolph Ziggler there. Lots of other stars will be there. You can kill, still get your tickets at, at ticketleader.ca. So check it out. Good chat there. Talked a little sports, a little stand-up, and, of course, uh, some pro wrestling there with Dolph Ziggler on The People Show. It is Sportsnet Tonight here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd here with you. Eddie Gregory producing the show. Uh, last up today, gave was the bills really having their way with the la rams in the opener for the nfl season they scored the touchdown on their first drive without too much difficulty forced a punt from la then on the next drive they're moving the ball very well but josh allen throws a pick to give the ball back to the rams so first blip of the season for the bills up to that point they were looking very much like the super bowl favorites that uh, that vegas and the odds makers have pegged them to be a little more NFL talk coming up uh on the net in the next segment. But I did want to mention this. I saw this uh scrolling through Twitter today. On this day in 1998, Mark McGuire hit his 62nd home run of the season, breaking Roger Maris's record becoming then at the time, of course later broken by Barry Bonds, uh the all-time and he would you know Mark McGuire would go on to hit a bunch more home runs that year becoming the single season home run leader uh, in Major League Baseball history. And that's such a fascinating moment to look back on now because if you were around and you were watching sports at the time, you remember what an incredibly, incredibly big deal that was in the summer of 1998 with Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa chasing Roger Maris's record. I mean,
1: that was the discussion in sports that summer. Oh,
0: it wasn't even close. And that was one of the classic examples of something that completely crossed over outside of just sports. Like I remember CNN was cutting away. Mark McGuire's at bat. We're going to cut away from whatever we're showing to show you Mark McGuire because he might hit a home run. That's what a big deal it was. I was in, I think I was in grade four at the time, like starting in September and you know, my grade four teachers, they don't care about sports, but they're talking about, and they're like, let's all try to predict what day he's going to hit the home run on and all that. It was a massive, massive deal and it's interesting now because obviously we all know about steroids and we, <laughs> Barry Bonds breaks the record and a, you know Sammy Sosa hit 60 multiple times. It maybe doesn't become such a big deal, but it is interesting because Aaron Judge is is threatening that mark this year. And I've seen a lot of people kind of say, well, he'll be the real home run king in my book if he gets to 62. It's just fascinating to kind of look back on what that moment was at the time and what it is now, I'm curious to hear from people and let us know, 650-650, what's your view on the Mark McGuire number, the Barry Bonds 73 number, all of it, the home run record as it stands in Major League Baseball? Because, look, maybe this is just the Yankee hater in me, but if Major League Baseball isn't going to put an asterisk by Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds' number, then then Aaron Judge doesn't get to be the champ with 62. That's an incredible accomplishment, don't get me wrong, But he doesn't get to claim being the home-run single-season guy if he hits 62. If if Major League Baseball wants to change the records, then we can talk. But, I look, I get it. Steroids, all that, yada, yada, yada. To me, those are the – Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, they have the record until somebody tells me otherwise.
1: At the end of the day, the assignment was to hit the ball over the wall and make it (laughs) fair right? and do it the most amount of times possible. And he did it. Yes. McGuire did it 70 times. Sosa did sixty six, and you mentioned that specific home run number sixty two. Yeah, I mean, you you bring it up the s word. Does he hit that home run? Does he clear the well, fence? I mean, without it, a little bit of help, it, because it,
0: it might have been his least impressive home run of the season. Yeah. When you watch the replays, I mean, that was like it's kind of a Vladdy special, or just a line drive bullet, but it barely scrapes over the wall and just on its barely way out, fair too. Yeah, and barely fair as well. The thing is, and I get it, I I, I can't fault you too much if you just want to completely write off all the records for guys who use steroids, because I understand it. It's it's a crummy situation, to say the least. But the thing I always come back to is, you know, there are lots of pitchers taking it. There were lots of other guys who never hit 20 home runs, who never got out of the AAA for more than a couple coffee, who were taking it as well. At a certain point, I've just kind of said, you know what? That was, that was the 90s was, and early 2000s. That's how it was, and he was still the best of the bunch in that time.
1: It was a blip in history, and Major League Baseball has done their part to clean up the sports since then. Yeah. Is that fair? Yes,
0: I think that's very fair. I think that's very fair. And if you want to say, I could even get behind, if you wanted to say that, let's say Aaron Judge hits 62 home runs this year. If you wanted to say that's more impressive than Mark McGuire's 70, I could get behind that because, look, a lot... You remember what it was like in the 90s, right? It seemed like every year there was two guys hitting 50 home runs. And And now...
1: Jr. was on that
0: list, too? Now it's, you know, Brady Anderson, right? Like, random guys popping off for 50 home runs in a year. Now it's a more rarefied number. We don't see that year in, year out like we used to. So if Aaron Judge does it in this context, okay, that's... I'm not trying to take anything away from him. It's still very impressive, but I'm not going to all of a sudden regard him as the single season home run champ. Like I've seen some people saying Chuck on Quadra texts in even on the juice. You have to be amazing to hit him like Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds. I think that's absolutely right. I think that's absolutely right. Here's the thing. It doesn't help you make contact. No. It might help it go a little farther, but it doesn't help you not strike out, which is still really hard to do.
1: You might hit it into the fifth deck as opposed to just clearing the wall yeah. more often than not, right? <laughs> you know, you still gotta get the bat on the ball.
0: You still have to get the bat on the ball. And Barry Bonds is a whole other discussion because he had such an incredible career uh before he even ever considered taking steroids, so that's a whole other level. But even with Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, for as far as I'm concerned, yeah, they took steroids, but you know what? It was that's what was going on at the time, so I'm happy to let their record stand, even if Aaron Judge gets to 62. Uh, Sportsnet tonight, Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd, Eddie Gregory here as well. More NFL talk coming up. Uh, Week one is underway between the Bills and the Rams. Plus, we will take a little trip down memory lane at some point next season with uh, longtime Canadian journalist Michael Valpy, who was here in Vancouver for a very memorable Canucks preseason game 20 years ago now. We'll talk about that. Plus, NFL is coming up. Sportsnet tonight, Sportsnet 650. Sportsnet tonight, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd here with you. The Bills moving the ball again. Just picked up another first down, courtesy of uh, Stefan Diggs catching the Josh Allen pass. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber Text line. Anything you want to get off your chest, let us know. 650, 650. It is, of course, the opening night of the NFL season. Uh, Great matchup, by the way, Bills and Rams to kick things off. And, you know, look, the Bills, they are Super Bowl favorite. And maybe maybe it's just because I have a hard time believing that the Bills are going to follow through on that, given their history, even though I really like their team. But it does feel, it feels very, very wide open. And not just in terms of teams that could challenge for the Super Bowl this year. I mean, I think especially in the NFC, it's really anybody's guess who's going to emerge. It kind of feels wide open in terms of, the storylines to a certain degree, right? Like what's everyone talking about, right? And look, I think obviously the Bills, anytime you're a preseason Super Bowl favorite, you're going to be a major storyline. I think you could look at something like, you know, who's going to be the next young quarterback to step up in the league. Can Trey Lance do it? Justin Fields, Tua. I think that's going to be a really interesting storyline. You know, obviously locally here, Seattle's quarterback situation, what their future holds, that's a major storyline to follow. But thinking about it today, And just kind of where I have the most curiosity going into this NFL season. And I I can't believe I'm saying it here in the year 2022. But I still think, still, the number one story in the NFL this season, going into the season at least, is Tom Brady. And again, I can't believe I'm saying it. I can't believe we're still having that conversation. But when you actually think about it, the guy is 45. He is 45 years old, even in the age of athletes playing longer and longer and excelling longer and longer into their 40s. And we've seen it, you know, late 30s into their 40s. I mean, we just saw it with Serena Williams who just retired. We're seeing it with, you know, Lionel Messi playing at an extremely high level. Go down the list. Roger Federer. You can find examples across sports of guys finding a way to be very, very effective. Guys and women, I should say. Finding a way to be very, very effective much later in their careers than we are used to seeing. But even in that context, Tom Brady being a high-level quarterback, doing what he's doing this far into his 40s, it stands out. This is the NFL! (laughs) This is the a punishing physical sport where you take countless hits even as the quarterback. And I know, yeah, they're protected in a way that they didn't used to be, but still. And look, I've never been a massive Tom Brady guy, a massive Tom Brady stand. When he was with the Patriots, I rooted against them every year. I was tired of it. I got sick of it. But I'll be honest, since he's left New England, since he's gone to Tampa Bay, I wouldn't say I've become a Brady fan. But it's become completely impossible not to be, at the very least, very impressed, but also kind of amazed by what he's able to do right now. And again, if he the, the biggest story, or the thing I am the most curious about going into this NFL season is just, can he do it again? At the age of 45, can he continue to be one of the best players at his position in the NFL? Because that's what he's been since he's been in Tampa, right? He had one of his best statistical seasons of his career last year at age 44. And one of the most impressive things is not just that he's doing it at his age, but that he had to adjust to a new situation since going to Tampa, right? We all remember for years and years the conversation was, well, you know, Bill Belichick, that's the guy who's really picking up the wins in New England. Yeah, Brady, decent quarterback, but you know he has the benefit of playing for the greatest coach of all time. It's really Belichick's show. Brady has completely, completely squashed that line of thinking since he went to Tampa. And look, hey, Tampa Bay had a great roster, and he was able to step into that situation. Bruce Arians, really good head coach. That's all fair. But still, he left Bill Belichick. He continued to thrive in his 40s as a quarterback. Now, this year, he's going to have to answer some more questions, right? New coach in Tampa with Bruce Arians retiring. I think there's some questions on the offensive line. I don't think it's a guarantee that he replicates what we saw from him last year, but I also know that people have been predicting the kind of Tom Brady fall off, the age decline for Tom Brady for well over a decade at this point. I've certainly done it. I've been there saying, oh, I think this is the year. I think this is the year that Tom Brady really slows down. I'm not willing to bet on it just yet, even at age. Forty-five. I am not ready to bet on it just yet. And again, when we just kind of talk about what could be the biggest story in the NFL this season, the way I think about it is, you know, what are we most likely to remember from this NFL season in, you know, 5, 10, 15 years down the road? And now you never know, right? Any number of different things could happen. Patrick Mahomes could break the touchdown record again, right? Lamar Jackson could do something incredible as a dual-threat quarterback, and maybe that's ultimately what we'll remember. Maybe we'll remember the Bills taking home the Super Bowl and the celebration in Buffalo. But the way I look at it now, if Brady has another outstanding season at age 45, right? If he's in the MVP race, if the Buccaneers advance to the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl, anything like that, if that happens... That's going to be a legitimately legendary sports accomplishment. And I don't use that term lightly. And again, this is not in for Tom Brady. I don't find him very personally likable. I've never been a Tom Brady guy. It's just inescapable at this point. You have to acknowledge how incredible it is that he's doing it, what he's doing at his age. And he tans in another phenomenal season at age 45, leads his team to success. It is once again, yeah, in 2022. Somehow, Tom Brady is still going to be the biggest story in the NFL. It's hard for me to imagine what else is going to top that uh, this year. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. If there's anything else you're curious about in the NFL this season, something you think could even be a bigger story than Tom Brady, hit me up and let me know. Again, it's 650, 650. Want to run into some uh, through some quick picks? For week one as well. Game ongoing. Buffalo with a 10-0 lead after kicking the field goal over the LA Rams. But looking ahead to Sunday, I'm going to give you a few picks. If uh, If you're really desperate, not that there's any shortage of people giving you sports betting advice these days on the radio or on TV or on the internet, but if you're really desperate for some advice, I am here for you with some NFL picks. And we will start... Well, let's stay in LA. Because... The Chargers and the Rams both figure, I think, to be pretty decent this year. So I'm looking at the Chargers home to their divisional foe, the Las Vegas Raiders. Chargers, three-point favorites. And usually you see a three-point spread in favor of the home team when Vegas is basically saying, you know what, these teams are pretty equal. We'll kind of give the home team three points. But realistically, if it was a a neutral site game, we'd probably have it as a pick They're basically equal. And I get the hype. For the Raiders they make the Devontae Adam trades Carr you know the Hunter Renfro really broke out last year they've got a nice skill position group Derek Carr has has proven that he can be a very productive quarterback but I just think top to bottom the Chargers are a better team a, a pretty clearly better better team than Vegas not that Vegas is bad I, I think they're going to be competitive they're going to have a shot at the playoffs but I think the Chargers might be legit Super Bowl contenders I really like Justin Herbert I like the receiving core there you know they go out and they get Khalil Mack. They've got other playmakers on defense as well. I think they just have more talent up and down the roster. Plus, they have the better quarterback with Justin Herbert, who you know could be a Dark Horse MVP candidate this year. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure why they're only laying three points. So I'll take the Chargers at home, minus three over the Raiders. Another one I'm looking at, San Francisco going on the road against the Bears. San Fran seven-point favorites, but I'm thinking I'm going to back the Bears here. And I'm not a, a Trey Lance doubter, necessarily. I think he's going to have a pretty solid season overall for the 49ers, but this just feels like a lot of points. I actually think there's more upside with Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears than a lot of people. The new offensive system there, it's been such a mess in Chicago previously to that, so any sort of improvement in the play calling, yeah, there's not, enough, not a ton of talent on that side of the ball, but any sort of improvement to the play calling should help Justin Fields a little bit. And at home, I think the Bears will be able to keep it close. Uh, Sam Fran could easily win. They're Obviously, they're the favorites to win, But I could see it being a little bit closer than the seven-point spread. You know, the defense, it's not the dominant Bears defense of old anymore, but I think it's fine. Should be able to keep it close. Maybe you get a couple of mistakes from a young Trey Lance still, you know, still learning to be a starter in the league. Maybe you get a big play from Justin Fields. I'll take Chicago plus seven at home against the Niners. And finally, I'm looking at Philly and Detroit. Philly, four-point road favorites against the Lions. I still have questions about Jalen Hurts, but the thing with Philly is you don't need Jalen Hurts to be excellent to win games. They've built up a pretty decent roster around Jalen Hurts. They go and get A.J. Brown, strong skill position group, still a pretty strong offensive line. They have enough around Jalen Hurts. They just need him to meet that kind of acceptable baseline, and they can win games. And on the other side, I know everyone fell in love with Dan Campbell. He's a great quote. He is a very easy guy to root for <laughs> as a football coach. But I don't know. I don't know if the Lions are actually ready to kind of take that leap into truly being a competitive team. It's still Jared Goff. I- I'm not sure. Yeah, there's some interesting young pieces, but they are very young. I don't know if they're quite ready to make an impact. So I don't love, you know, Jalen Hurts giving four points on the road, but I, I don't think the Lions are there yet. I'll take the Eagles. Again, minus four on the road. Against the Detroit Lions on Sunday, and I'll throw out because it's Week One here. I'll throw out uh, an MVP pick as well. How about Lamar Jackson, former MVP, fifteen to one, plus fifteen hundred to win the award again. The thing with Lamar Jackson is he is one of the a classic example of the player that people focus so much more on the flaws than they do on what he does well. Because newsflash, he's still a really, really good player, and more than anyone else, that offense and that team. Is built to allow Lamar Jackson to thrive. They had a ton of injuries last year. They're going to be healthier this year. Yeah, they traded Marquise Brown, but they've still got some other dangerous weapons to work with. And again, you know he is going to have the chance to rack up some really impressive stats. He always does when he's in the game. And I think more than ever this year, he's going to have the chance to do it. You look at it, I think the Ravens have a chance to win that division. Yeah, it's going to be competitive with the Bengals, you know, with the Browns, maybe once Deshaun Watson comes back in particular. But I think the Ravens have the roster to be legit contenders and win that division. If they do that kind of unsu- uh, unexpectedly to, to a certain degree or maybe in a tight race over a good team like the Bengals and Lamar Jackson is racking up stats, yeah, he's already won the award. Sometimes that can kind of work against guys because they want to give to someone new. But if he's up over 1,000 yards rushing, you know, over 30 yards passing and his team wins the division – I think 15-1 to for MVP for Lamar Jackson could look really, really good uh, towards the end of the season. 650-650 is the Dunbar-Lumber text line. Again, it's week one of the NFL, getting some picks, and my thoughts in on the biggest storyline going into this NFL season, which again, I do think is... Tom Brady, (laughs) continuing to defy father time. Will he continue to play at the high level uh, that we have grown accustomed to seeing from Tom Brady for, oh, uh, you know, 20 plus years? No, nothing like that. Just been an, an NFL quarterback for over 20 years, has Tom Brady. It is Sportsnet Tonight here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. Eddie Gregory is running things as well. And uh, we're going to be joined momentarily here by uh, longtime Canadian journalist, Michael Valpy, who has written for many different outlets. But in 2002, about 20 years ago now, well, almost 20 years ago to the month, uh, Michael Valpy was in Vancouver covering Queen Elizabeth's tour through Canada. And of course, as you've heard, Queen Elizabeth II passed away earlier today. Uh, If you're looking for more news coverage of that, you can go to our friend News. 11.30, 11.30, but I am very pleased to be joined, and specifically why we're having Michael on is, as you know, and I'm sure you've seen today, that when she made her tour through BC, Queen Elizabeth made an appearance at a Canucks game, and in fact, dropped the puck at a preseason game between the Vancouver Canucks and the San Jose Sharks. So let take a quick trip down memory lane with us now. Very pleased to be joined uh, by Canadian journalist Michael Valpe. Michael, thanks very much for doing this tonight. How are you?
4: Jay- Jamie, you're welcome. Um, I'm, I'm fine. Thank you.
0: So it's uh it's been interesting to you know see the remembrances obviously of queen elizabeth in general but specifically here in vancouver today of uh the event which i remember very clearly growing up and, and watching on tv of queen elizabeth being at a hockey game and, and doing a ceremonial puck drop and you know, looking back in particular, Michael, it's such an interesting juxtaposition of worlds that don't necessarily collide all that often. You were there, you were covering it for the Globe and Mail at the time. Just take us back. What What do you remember, set the scene for us of that moment?
4: Well, it was called the the most inspired event of her Golden Jubilee Tour of Canada, and that's completely accurate. And if you give me a couple of minutes, can I set the stage for you? Please do. How it went? Please. Um, she first of all, there's there's I think twenty or thirty Navy, Royal Canadian Navy trumpeters, and they start blowing a trumpet fanfare. She comes a, a, a down a red carpet uh, to center ice. She's accompanied by Wayne Gretzky by Howie Meeker, uh, who you know won four Stanley Cups with the Toronto Maple Leafs, Uh, she's accompanied by Cassie Campbell, the captain of the women's gold medal Olympic team, she's accompanied by Ed Jovanovsky, who's a member of the Olympic team and connects uh, defensemen. She gets down to the end of the red carpet and she's got her gloves on and she doesn't have a hat, but she's got her gloves on and looks, you know, very queen-like and Gretzky hands her the puck and she bends over gently and drops it on the ice. And and somebody sitting beside me in the press box said it looked, it looked as if she was dropping a biscuit for one of her (laughs) corgis. And, Mark uh, Nasland, the Marcus captain of the Nasland, Canucks, yes. scooped up the puck and handed it to her with a bow, and the, and they there was eighteen thousand people in in uh, Vancouver's GM Place, and they just went crazy, and yelling, cheering, stamping their feet. There wasn't a Republican in the building, and suddenly. Uh, um, uh, the E2R logo, you know, capital capital letter E, two I's in the middle for two and R at the end, uh, comes on over the jumbotron atop of the I Am Canadian beer logo. <laughs> they, missed, they missed nothing. And the crowd just went crazy. And she walks back up the carpet with... Uh, and I'll finish this off very quickly, she walks back up the carpet with Gretzky, talking constantly with him, laughing, making him laugh, and she then attends uh, between-periods reception. Oh, she and Gretzky and Prince Philip watch the whole first period. She then goes to uh, a between-periods reception hosted by uh, then-premier Gordon Campbell, and as she leaves to go back to her hotel, she asks, she asks Kretsky what channel the game is on uh, because she and Philip want to watch, it, uh, watch the whole game from their hotel room. So that's the story. I tell you, it was whoever thought this up, it was just brilliant because, you know, most royal events are stuffy, boring, dull. But this one was just tremendous okay i'll stop. (laughs)
0: well no i I mean you it was a fantastic job of as you said setting the scene and and you know sharing some of the details from that moment but the point you were making at the end michael i find i find fascinating because this is a memory that stands out to me certainly and now granted growing up i'm a big canucks fan and all that so obviously i was invested in the team at the time but it, it i think it stands out because as you said it does seem very atypical for a, a royal event of that nature, right? To be at an event like a hockey game, which we always think of as having a certain amount of rowdiness and rambunctiousness associated with it. Do you have a sense of of why or how it came together that she came to be at a, a fairly unusual event like that? I've
4: asked people, I've asked people, you know, who thought this up, who who came up with the idea, and and I'll tell you something, nobody can remember. <laughs> And it's as if, you know, a bunch of guys were sitting around and saying, why don't we do this? And uh, somebody else, you know, snapped their fingers and said, yeah, that's not a bad idea. And and the sort of the history of it has been forgotten. I know it wasn't, if I remember, it wasn't anyone connected with hockey. It was someone... uh, with political connections, who thought it would be funny, and it was—it was just brilliant, really. I've never seen—I've been covering, you know, I reported on royal visits for years. I never saw—I never saw anything this imaginative. And, and it grabbed the crowd. You know, people who wouldn't, wouldn't normally, I'm sure, have been monarchists, would have been great Republicans, but they were so taken by this unfolding drama that they went wild. It was wonderful. And you remember it.
0: I do, very, very clearly. Yeah, it was it was a, a, a big event uh, at the time, I mean, for obvious for obvious reasons. We're in conversation here on Sports at 650 with uh, Canadian journalist Michael Valpy, who covered Queen Elizabeth's visit to Canada, British Columbia, and, of course, to a Canucks game at Rogers Arena against the San Jose Sharks. And, you know, Michael, I'm sure... First of all, plenty of our listeners remember the event when it happened, but also today have seen pictures resurface on social media of of the puck drop. We all have that image pretty clearly in our minds, but is there something maybe behind the scenes or one other kind of forgotten detail that really stands out to you uh, from that night at at Rogers Arena?
4: Just her daintiness (laughs) in dropping the puck. It was done very gently. She just leaned forward. Uh, and let it fall out of her fingers. And, uh, and there was that split second of silence when the puck fell, and then the crowd just went berserk. And, and, you know, I don't know whether that was reported on. I can't, you know, I don't know because I can't remember it. <laughs> But because it's, uh, let's see, 2002. Oh, it's exactly 20 yep. years ago and um so i don't re- i don't remember that but i do remember that sort of split second of hushed silence as she gently let the puck fall from her gloved fingers and then the crowd just going berserk
0: well and uh i i, I actually found the the article you wrote for um for the Globe and Mail at the time, and uh, the the quote you had from uh, from Wayne Gretzky on her puck drop was that uh, her technique was fine. She knew what she was doing, so she got she got kudos from the great one on her technique. You can't do much better than that,
4: you know. And and that's the sort of thing that Gretzky would say. Yeah, yeah. Technique was fine. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was great. It was great, and he obviously was enjoying himself too because uh, she had him she had him laughing and. Uh, so yes, but you're right. It was a it was a perfect Gretzky comment. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, Michael, look, we really appreciate you taking some time for us tonight and taking the trip down Memory Lane. As I said, it's something that stands out. I know for for people here in the province and and certainly for Canucks fans. And thanks for sharing some memories and some insight with us.
4: I appreciate it. I'm I, I'm honored that you would ask me.
0: Uh, that is uh, Michael Valpy, who is a longtime Canadian Canadian journalist. As you heard, he covered royal visits and royal tours, and specifically the one uh, in 2002, 20 years ago now to BC, uh, that brought Queen Elizabeth to a, a Vancouver Canucks game of all place. And, you know, it's the kind of thing that at the time, I would have been 16 years old at the time, so, you know, you don't necessarily understand. You just think, oh, okay, that's a ceremonial puck drop with a a celebrity of sorts with an important person. And all right, that seems pretty normal. But looking back, (laughs) as Michael said there, who came up with the idea? It's, it's such a bizarre juxtaposition to have, as he said, you know, the dainty queen at a hockey game. And Eddie, I have to laugh because looking at the, uh, looking at the photos today on Twitter, that people have been posting of the event, you know, you have Marcus Naslin there and Marcus, very presentable, you know, look good looking guy. On the other side, you have Mike Ricci. Yeah. (laughs) Who? As greasy (laughs) as they come. If you just kind of like imagine a greasy Canadian hockey player in your head... It's Mike Ricci with the hair. with the pickup truck. (laughs) Missing the teeth. It's just, he is the quintessential image of that Canadian hockey stereotype. And I had to laugh looking at it. And, you know, uh, as people pointed out, he kind of tried to maybe brush his hair back a little bit. And he
1: tried to look presentable. Like, can you imagine... Say the Canucks brass talking to Marcus Naslund. Obviously, you're meeting the queen. You want to yeah. look your best. And maybe Marcus just and well, and Marcus a little is extra like, effort. Yeah,
0: well, Marcus, it's like, I rolled out of bed like this. I'm fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
1: Like Mike what Ricci. is Mike Ricci thinking? Like how am I going to present myself <laughs> to the Queen? And what are they saying to him on the bench? After of all the done? players
0: in the NHL to be on the other side, Mike Ricci is one of the absolute funniest ones because <laughs> there's only so much you can do to clean him up and make him look presentable in his hockey uniform. Uh, but they did his best. Thank you again to uh, to Michael Valpy, longtime Canadian journalist for for joining us there for a quick chat. And a trip down memory lane. Sportsnet tonight here on SportsNet 650. Final segment coming up. We'll get back into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Plus, Tyler Zickel, Vancouver Canadians play-by-play voice, will join us. Uh game coming up against the Eugene Emeralds. You can listen to right here on 650 at seven. We'll chat a little bit about that. But also, the Canadians booked a spot in the Northwest League playoffs last night. So we'll chat with Tyler a little bit about that the whole season and more uh, that's coming up at Sportsnet tonight Sportsnet 650 Welcome back Sportsnet tonight final segment of the evening here before we take you to Vancouver Canadians baseball uh, we will talk a little Vancouver Canadians baseball with the voice of the seas Tyler Zickel will join me in about 5 minutes time or so a little preview of tonight's action but also more importantly it's going to be some playoff baseball at the Nat this year. The Seas punched their tickets to the Northwest League Championship Series with a win last night. So we'll talk to Zickel about that and get his thoughts on the season as a whole for the Canadians. Uh, before we get to that, I did want to get into this because I saw uh, it, it come across my social media feed today that the, uh, the Arizona Coyotes announcing limited single-game tickets for their games for their season will go on sale uh, September 12th, and yeah, it's <laughs> limited tickets available because there's only limited seats in the building with a whopping capacity of about 5,000 for NHL games, and I know they've made a big, oh wow, we sold a lot of season tickets, and we actually have more season ticket revenue with this setup than we did at our old building, and- It's the positive spin. You know, that probably says more about how dire your previous situation was than how good this one is, but- as much fun as it is to uh, you know to to dump on the Arizona Coyotes for the fact that they're playing in a college building, they're not even they're not even the main tenant in the building. They're really just kind of crashing on the couch of the Arizona State Sun Devils hockey team. As much fun and, and look, they completely deserve it. It's a joke that an NHL team is playing there. I do have to admit there is a certain amount of curiosity I have to go see a legitimate regular season NHL game. In a venue like that. I feel almost bad admitting it, right? Like, it's giving it credence that this is actually a good idea. But there is a part of me that, okay, that's that's pretty interesting, you know, intimate venue, closer to the ice, What's, what would it be like? Would it be fun? And I'm kind of interested, you know, how curious are people? As much as we like to laugh at it, and again, we should laugh at it, it deserves our scorn and our ridicule and our laughter, is there also a part of you that's kind of thinking, you know what, if I if I can swing it and, and go down there, and by the way, the Canucks play twice, March 16th and April 13th, that's the last game of the season, actually, by the way, that April 13th one, both on Thursday nights, so maybe you go down, you stretch it into a bit of a, a long weekend in Phoenix, you know, the March one, you take in some spring training baseball, maybe.
1: A little bit of golf. A little
0: bit of golf, I don't know, I mean, I'm talking myself into it, it's just, it, here's the thing. As a one-off experience, I can see getting into it. The fact that it's not just this year, Eddie, not just next year. I mean, who knows? Who knows when they're going to be finished playing in that building? It's – as much as I am curious about what it would be like to see the NHL product there, and I think there's things you can do to make it interesting and make it compelling – if it was, you know, okay, hey, our, our we're we're going to spend half a season here before we move into our new building, all right, I can kind of get on board with that. But the there's way no, they no have novelty set up, with that,
1: though. That's hmm? the thing. There's no novelty with that, knowing that there's going to go to whatever plan B or right. Rank B in six months while this one is under construction.
0: Well, I mean, it's still novelty because there's only a limited amount of games in that scenario, right? Yeah. You know, I think with this one, it's almost there's going to be a novelty effect for this year. But then next season, it's going to be, oh, you're still playing in that joke of a building? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're you're still playing in a college rink? (laughs) You're the pros. What are you doing? Why are you playing there? I'm in it
1: for this year.
0: I don't know. After that, I think it's going to be people. The novelty is going to wear off in a hurry, and people are going to be confused about why it's still happening.
1: It's going to be like milk. It's going to sour in a real hurry.
0: I am Do you have any kind of, I don't know if bucket list is the right word, because I wouldn't say it's a bucket list item, but just kind of sports venues that are high on your list as a, as an experience more than anything else you know what i mean
1: well along those same lines i would love to go to a bunch of college hockey rinks right sure like going to north dakota i think would be fantastic yeah even some of the uh older you know barn type buildings that they've modernized in the northeastern part of the u.s whether it be say a Boston University or Harvard just like facilities like that just in general the college hockey experience I think would be fantastic I would love to just see what it's all about
0: I think that's a good call and especially the thing with college sports the great thing I mean there's a ton of problems with college sports in the US but the great thing is that the passion and the energy is always there right so you're getting you know because that's the one problem with the Arizona thing is it's not as if you're going to go in this small building and it's going to be this incredibly passionate, engaged fan base. You know what I mean? It's still Arizona coyotes fans who don't, and the team's going to be horrible, but if you're going to, you know, Ohio state Michigan or something in hockey. Yeah. It's a cool, it's going to be a a cool, small venue and you're actually going to get some feeling in the game and from the crowd. So I like that one. Another one that occurs to me again, just not just so much about the venue, but about the atmosphere and the novelty is some of the, the clips you see from European hockey leagues and the way the fans get into it there. Oh, it's just sure. a completely different experience than anything we have over here. And another thing where it's, yeah, smaller venue, more intimate, but
1: the energy and the atmosphere is off the charts in those. It's like I went to Russia in 2011 with a bunch of BCHL players just outside of Moscow. And I just remember. Just the chanting that all the Russian fans made in the building and just the energy that it provided. Basically, it was a building about the size of the rink out in Abbotsford where sure. the Canucks played. And even just that type of energy, just watching hockey on you know the other side of the planet was incredible. And Europe would definitely be a big part of that. Like that building in, I believe it's Switzerland, where they play yeah. the Spengler Cup where you can see outside and whatnot. That yes. looks phenomenal. Yeah. Like imagine being in that spot. At Christmas time.
0: No, and you see some of the... I know I've seen it from Germany and stuff where it's basically, you know, a soccer supporter section with flares and flags and stuff. And again, I don't know. Do I want that every night at at Rogers Arena? Not necessarily. Maybe. I don't know. But to go see it once or twice and to have that experience? Yeah, sign me up. And, you know, similar to what you had to say about the college sports, uh, the college hockey experience. I mean, I I would definitely extend that to... You know, big time college basketball, big time college football, when you yeah. see some of the I mean, first of all, in college football, just the sheer volume of people. When you get you know playing in a seventy thousand feet stadium and it's packed and it's not like a modern NFL stadium, right? Where it's mostly luxury boxes and club seats. It's just a ton of seats right on top of the action. Everyone's packed in that creates a really unique atmosphere as well.
1: Like imagine going to a college basketball game and all of a sudden it's a dramatic, you know, buzzer beater to win the game. And all of a sudden the crowd just storms the floor for whatever reason in amongst that mob. Yeah, that wouldn't be bad.
0: Um, it's Sportsnet tonight here on Sportsnet 650. Tyler Zickel uh, hopefully is going to join us from Nat Bailey momentarily here. We'll get into uh, as I said the Vancouver Canadians clinching a spot in the Northwest League championship series. So some playoff baseball will be back at Nat Bailey. I believe, you know, obviously they haven't played at Nat Bailey for a few seasons. I believe it's the first playoff action that's going to be at the Nat uh since 2017. So it's been a while, but it will be back this year we will get into that with Tyler Zickel plus i mean as i said first time back in a few seasons uh for the Vancouver Canadians so we'll talk just about the experience of being back and playing in Vancouver again for the franchise with Tyler Zickel quick update from the NFL uh bills looked like they were going to handle the rams but it is 10-10 at halftime after the rams respond with a touchdown and a field goal of their own cooper cup who else uh, for the Rams, he's already having a monster night. Eight catches, 56 yards, and a touchdown uh, on a beautiful catch in the back corner of the end zone for Matthew Stafford. So it is 10-10 at the half uh, in L.A. in night one of the uh, NFL season. It is uh, Sportsnet Tonight here on Sportsnet 650. Still waiting just to get a hold of uh, of Tyler Zickel for a quick chat about the Vancouver Canadians ahead of their game coming up at 7.
1: Hold on, hold on, hold on. Can we just give a shout out to Aussie Osborne who's still going <laughs> performing at halftime <laughs> playing right at now? the halftime show? Yes. I haven't heard it, but I just saw it. I, I saw it. I, he didn't he looked all right. I know. Good for him. <laughs> He's doing
0: pretty good. I mean, that is impressive, really. You yeah. got Good for Ozzy Osbourne. He's he's had a hard life.
1: I mean, we had the Super Bowl performance with Dr. Dre and yes. Snoop Dogg the last time there was an NFL game played in that stadium, and now we have Ozzy Osbourne on opening night tonight. Yeah, he's
0: been through. He he's um, he's lived, you know, a, a rough and tumble life. So so good for him to still be going. Uh, just while we wait to connect with Tyler Zickel, I wanted to get back into uh, one of the Canucks conversations that we started the show with, and we were talking about pressure and who has the most pressure on the team and you know despite signing the massive big deal in the offseason I actually don't think it's JT Miller I think it's squarely on the shoulders of Elias Pettersson but here's the thing with the Canucks there's never any shortage of of guys who have uh, a little bit of pressure on them going into the season we'll get back at, into that before the end of the show but now very pleased to be joined by the voice of the Canadians here on Sportsnet 650 uh, Tyler Zickel Tyler thanks for doing this man how are you
5: Oh good evening. Happy Thursday, Throwback Thursday here on Ontario Street. Boys, looking great in those nineteen ninety six unis after Let's clinching go. their playoff spot last night.
0: Well, that yeah, and that's. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm I was thrilled to see that, and I wanted to start there. I mean, just first of all, your reaction. What does it mean that, that there's going to be some playoff baseball for the Canadians this year?
5: Well, we knew this season going in was going to be a big deal. No baseball here at the Nat since 2019, and since then, oh, yeah, we've had a global pandemic, and the Canadians have been bumped up to become the high affiliate of the Blue Jays after serving as their rookie-level affiliate for almost 10 seasons. So not only do you get a better brand of baseball, but this year the Canadians back at the Nat in full force, the home field advantage has definitely come into play, and that is why they've been one of the best teams in the league in the second half, and that's also why they're going to take on arguably the most talented team at all of high a not just here in the northwest league that's the eugene emeralds who ironically enough are their opponents tonight and for the rest of this week and then monday down at pk park we're going to start that championship series against these emeralds as well so two teams who are going to get very familiar with each other over these next let's call it i don't know i'm going to say nine (laughs) games total four here and you got a potential best of five there you go and yeah, that's
0: one of the unique things about the Northwest League, right? Is you see the same teams a lot throughout the course of the season. So they're going to get more familiar with each other, but they're already pretty familiar with each other at this stage of the season. What do you what do you think about the matchup between the Seas and the Eugene Emeralds for the championship?
5: You know, if the Canadians are going to win their fifth Northwest League title since 2011, they are going to have to find a way to limit one of the many weapons for the Emeralds. This team, on the other side, they can pitch. They've got the best team ERA in the league. They can hit. They've scored more runs and hit more homers than anybody else. And they also do a pretty decent job of fielding the ball. So if the Canadians can come out hot like they did last night in the clinching game, they got a leadoff homer from the pride of Oakville, Ontario, Desan Brown, and then they scored six runs in the second inning to put the game Away for good. That's a recipe for success against a team like Eugene. Get them down big early, and then use terrific pitching is what the Canadians got last night to keep them off the board until the top of the eighth. So if the Canadians can use the offense to attack early, they're going to be successful. And then on the flip side, if the Eugene bats continue to do what they've done to everybody else in the league this year, and that is beat them up, well going to have to find a way to either go toe for toe with that offensive onslaught or find it within themselves to miss bats like they did yesterday so I think the best way to that title is through the offense this is a team even over its last nine games has averaged almost 10 hits a game 88 hits over the last nine games they're swinging their best bats of the season and they're looking to continue that once we get to the playoffs
0: You know, one of the uh, one of the interesting things about minor league ball and pretty much no matter what level you're at is you have to deal with departures and new guys coming in. And I I know early in the season or, you know, throughout maybe the first half of the season, some of the key guys were, you know, Ricky Tiedemann on the mound, Addison Barger at the plate and at shortstop. And as they have success, they get bumped up the ladder and go on to double A. But the second half of the season has been very strong for the Canadians, you know, despite managing those departures. Who have been some of the key players that have stepped up and and carried the team in that time?
5: Well, you make a great point, and that's what it's about in the minor leagues. Yes, you want to win, you want to bring a championship to Vancouver, but at the end of the day, the goal here at the Nat is to develop future Blue Jays, and that often involves taking your best talent and promoting them to the upper levels. And as you mentioned, we've had a ton of that this year, arguably more roster turnover than any of the other five teams in the league. And I just went back and I counted our current roster. Of 30 guys who started on the roster on April 8th, Only eight of those 30 are still on the roster. So 22 different players who began on opening day have already been promoted. And that's not counting guys who started the season elsewhere, maybe with single-Aid Dunedin, came to the Canadians, and then have already gone on to the upper levels of the minors as well. In fact, two weeks ago, we took 10 new headshots. That's a third of the roster coming in fresh, including guys drafted this year. There are four 2022 draftees on the roster right now for the Cs. And all of them contributing, including the guy who got the last three outs in the clincher last night, Devereaux Harrison, ninth rounder out of Long Beach State this year. So contributions coming from all over the place. Guys who started the season elsewhere making their way to Vancouver, Damiano Palmigiani most notably. He's the pride of Surrey, B.C. So this is a local guy who not only is the active leader in homers for Vancouver, but suddenly finds himself as the number 27 Blue Jays prospect that sums it up guys who maybe we haven't heard of before coming to vancouver making a name for themselves and really contributing to that second half success
0: and you know through it all as you said we're in conversation here with tyler zickel voice of the canadians here on sportsnet 650 as you said it's it's two goals at this level right it's yes win win a championship but also develop and brent Lavallee the manager is the guy who gets tasked with doing that how would you say he, he's managed that balance this year
5: well first and foremost you got to shout out another local guy brent is from north delta used to come to games here at the nat as a kid his mom tammy who's actually here tonight at the ballpark celebrating her birthday she's about to throw out her first pitch to the skipper and so being able to balance his responsibilities at the ballpark combined with all that added noise from being back in his hometown i'll tell you in his first season managing full season pro ball after serving in the college ranks for over a decade brent has passed with flying colors a guy in his mid-30s a bright future ahead i got to work with current jays manager john schneider when he worked for the AA fisher cats back in 2018 that was the same year vladdy jr boba shed cavin biggio on and on and on were on that team jordan romano was also on that roster i get shades of john schneider from brent LaValle. obviously john few more years of managerial experience under his belt, but when John was here with the Seas about a 10 years ago, a little less, very similar experience. A guy, former catcher, young players first manager, and I think if Brent LaValle continues the development as a skipper that we've seen from him this year, his future is as bright as any of the players who've come through this season.
0: You know, it's uh, I know it's been a couple seasons now for the Northwest League moving up to high A, but first chance for us here in Vancouver to see the new full season high A level uh, with the Canadians and you know I, I've had the opportunity and the pleasure to be at the Nats several times this year it's really stood out the difference in, in the level of play to me just from what it used to be to where it is now what kind of stands out to the, the most to you about that jump Tyler?
5: I certainly think that the baseball IQ of every individual player is noticeably improved these are not guys for the most part who are starting their pro career with this season though as we just alluded to a couple of guys who indeed drafted this year and now making their way to high A but you get an older player, a more mature player. They're more physically developed. And therefore, as you've seen, a better brand of baseball. It's a cleaner game. It's a more exciting game. Games certainly are, are going not nearly as long when you've got better baseball in between the lines. So talking about that time of game, which, of course, has become a big thing to mm-hmm. talk about in baseball. How do you speed things up? We've got the pitch clock now this year. That has added to making sure those games don't go into the three-hour mark more than maybe once or twice a month. So all those factors combine. For me in my eighth season in minor league baseball and my fifth in the blue jays system this is a really exciting time not just to be watching vancouver canadians baseball but to be a part of minor league baseball in general and to be able to represent as the only minor league team here in canada that just adds to the specialness here on ontario street
0: i'll let you get back in just a second i know you're preparing for the call coming up at the top of the clock here tyler but you know i know for the whole organization obviously for fans who've been back at the nat it's been so great to have them back in Vancouver and this is your first experience in the city for the season as well what's it been like for
1: you
5: it's night and day compared to my first year last year of course playing out of Ron Tonkin Field down in Hillsborough for the entire season great to be back on the field after 2020 season was canceled but this is not even close to what we experienced last year it's night and day talking to team president Andy Dunn earlier this afternoon in fact and he was saying you know what Tyler you saw me frowning a whole lot last year but you've seen more smiles from me this year (laughs) haven't you and I said absolutely AD this is a guy who's been leading the team since 2008 a frustrating season all around both off the field and on just because we couldn't be back here at the Nat to celebrate but since returning and being a part of this first season in high A and a first full season of baseball here at the Nat everybody's welcomed us with open arms re-welcomed us with open arms I should say and the support while continuing in fact has gotten even better since the last time we're here in 2019 and for me personally everything I'd heard about the Nat is true and then some this is a special place with an incredible history and an exceedingly exciting future with some new developments here at the ballpark planned for the offseason as well so great time now with the playoffs coming up next week starting Monday Tuesday down in Eugene then Friday here at the Nat game three of that Northwest League Championship Series and not just this season but seasons to come Everything is pointing towards Canadians baseball in a positive light these days.
0: Tyler, really appreciate the time. Have a great call tonight. I'll be at the Nat, actually, with the People Show with Bick and Randeep tomorrow. So hopefully I'll see you there. Uh, And thanks so much.
5: My pleasure. Always great to join you. And most importantly, let's get a playoff W come Monday night down in Eugene.
0: No doubt about it. That is Tyler Zickel again in uh, just a few minutes. He will take over the Canadians taking on. It's not the playoffs yet. They're just wrapping up the regular season. But they will face their eventual playoff opponent in the Eugene Emeralds tonight at Nat Bailey. Final series of the season is uh, starting tonight with these four games. uh, And they will play... Friday, Saturday, Sunday, also against Eugene. I know I looked a while ago for tickets for uh, either the Nooner or for tomorrow or for Sunday. I could not find them at the time. Maybe there's some available now. I don't know if there is. Make sure you check it out. But you can get tickets at VancouverCanadians.com for uh, the next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, which will be Games 3 and Game 4 and 5, if necessary, of the Northwest Championship League Series. And look, if you haven't made it out to the Nat yet this year... You're missing out. I've been. It was incredible. Find a way to get there if you absolutely, if you at all can. If there's any possibility of you getting there for these final few games of the year. I just wanted to echo one thing that uh, Tyler said. They're talking about the quality of play, but also the pace of play. I'm a huge baseball fan. So, look, if a game goes three hours, I can stomach it. But I understand why it can be a problem for other people. The pitch clock is a revelation at Nat Bailey. An absolute revelation at At Nat Bailey, it is fantastic. It keeps the game snappy, keeps it in rhythm. I love the pitch clock. It's a blast. Makes the experience at Nat Bailey even better. And I hope they bring it to Major League Baseball sooner rather than later. It sounds like it's trending in that direction. Thank you to everyone for listening again. Canadians baseball here on Sportsnet 650 from the Nat is coming up next with Tyler Zickel. Shout out to my guy, Eddie Gregory, the new voice of the Vancouver Giants, for producing and jumping in today. Thanks for listening. You got it. On the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.